Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. The Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today and my tiny little nipples went to France. And Bruce Nolan. Yo, brethren, what up with thee? Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. That's right. And so here we are. The Bills are four and one. That's a good thing. If we were to go back in time to six weeks ago or two months ago or three months ago or to the draft or any time prior to where we stand right now and we were to go through the schedule and try to be as optimistic and simultaneously realistic as possible about what the Bills would look like at this point in the season, I don't think four and one is really leaving anything left to be desired. Maybe the way the four and one looks. Yeah, I mean, not we mentioned that not all four and ones are created equal, not all four and O's are created, not all three and O's are created equal. But the fact of the matter is we're still four and one. And that still means that those games, no matter how bad we looked in them, no matter how good looked them, no matter how bad Josh Allen looked, no matter how good Josh Allen looked, no matter how the defense or running game or any of that played, you can't go back and take them from us. You can't go back and say, well, you know, after further review, we have decided that the ball did exactly hit the ground, and now we're going to rule it an incomplete pass. You, no take backs. Yeah, no take backs. And you, you, could, you could carve it in stone, one could say. Boom. Roasted. Or maybe they could write it in ink. What would your preference be, Bruce? My preference would be that you write thing in ink, because nobody carves anything in stone anymore, Nick. Fair enough. Well, the Bills are 4-1. and one positioned if you were to look at the conference as far as all teams ranked without divisions being taken into account actually tied for third I believe in the AFC yeah and as far as playoff seeding would go sole possession of the fifth seed because the Patriots would have the division therefore the best we can do without being a division winner would be fifth and the first wild card spot these are these are good things. Pretty, 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 Why? pretty good. These are these are these are desirable facts to be true of of the Bills. 
Uh, I think that there's a level of comfort and there's actually this this ability to sit back and look at this and evaluate it in a way that we haven't really done previously because we're not playing this week. We don't immediately have to turn our attention to the next thing that could go wrong or the next thing that could go right. We get to take a breath and watch things around us happen while we are in some ways unaffected. Yeah, we get to take kind of take stock in what has happened thus far this year, take inventory, some introspection. It's I like bye weeks. Bye weeks are nice to kind of take a breath, evaluate where you're at cuz sometimes you get caught up in the last week next week sort of evaluation as content creators, as I'm sure the team gets caught up like that, players get caught up like that. It's good to take a breath. I think it also works out well as far as injuries go that we had a buy at this particular time because people were dropping like flies against the Titans and we were thinking, gosh, I'm glad we got a buy next week. Yeah, a lot of a lot of dings, a lot of bumps and bruises, but things that you have to give guys time to legitimately heal. Otherwise, it causes more problems than not. Even if Mitch Morse, for example, was out, held out of the game with an ankle injury that he sustained during the game, could have gone back in if we needed him to, but it was deemed that it was more important for him to just get healthy if he could, and now we get a week where everybody can, can get that treatment. And, uh, yeah, there's certainly lots of guys who are who are dinged up and whatnot. So let's go through the... Let's go through some of the narratives about what came out of the Titans game. But I think before we do that, I mean, the the somewhat breaking news at this point in time is the Zay Jones trade. So, I mean, gosh, where where do you start with Zay Jones? I mean, you can go back to the whole history of what, you know, he where he was drafted, what he's contributed to the Bills, what he was maybe hopefully going to be contributing, that he was scouted by Doug Whaley's staff, not Brandon Bean's staff, that Sean McDermott picked him, not Brandon Bean. You know, there's so many there's so many interesting nuances of of Zay Jones that kind of straddle the organization prior to McDermott and McBean and to now. But long story short is it never really clicked for Zay Jones here as far as on the field production and contributions to the team in a way that led to yards, points, receptions, any of that stuff. I never really felt comfortable with Zay Jones as a meaningful producer at the wide receiver position for this team. I don't think the quarterbacks ever really felt really comfortable like that. And it doesn't seem like the team ever felt. It just didn't click. It just didn't click. It didn't work the way we wanted to. It got off to a bad start and then we had a bizarre off-season incident, and it just never quite clicked. Yeah. That doesn't mean it won't click elsewhere for Zane. With all of the, the parent drama and the incidents and the hands issues when he first came on, and then his wide receiver coach who was here but then didn't last the season, and it didn't last more than a season, rather. And it just, it just never quite fit. He always felt like sort of an odd guy out and we were just waiting for a breakout that if it was going to happen was probably going to happen elsewhere yeah I think that the things that that I do think about kind of curiously like I don't know I don't know really what to think of them or where to place them are his off his off field stuff the the unusual hotel incident which seems to be in the rearview mirror I mean we haven't really seen whatever that incident was where he seemed to be on a substance of some kind and 
was, you know, talking uh, unintelligibly and kind of crazily, and his brother had to protect him from, you know, jumping out a window or whatever the situation was. That was obviously, you know, kind of bonkers. But then the situation with his family seeming to be very vocal about them not being happy with him here, which you, you know, could, you know, at least in a lot of families, parents um, have an opinion that is often informed by their child's experience and their child's description of the experience they're going through, right? So it's not like Robert and Manisha Jones don't have any insider information. I mean, they they talk to their son, you would assume, and, you know, uh, there could be some truth to that, to all the, the squawking and whatnot that they were that they were putting out there about Zay needs a change of scenery and he's no, you know, he would be treasured, he would be trash here and treasure somewhere else. There are a lot of sports players who have scenarios with the parents come up. Kyrie Irving comes to mind. Dwayne Haskins had some questions about this coming out in the draft. And it it is always a factor for teams whether they want to deal with any exterior factors when it comes to a player. I'm not saying that Robert Jones is Lamar Ball. I'm saying that there is part of the package. It's a little bit like marrying somebody and realizing that you're marrying their family. That's what happens when you marry someone. When I married my wife, I'm now part of my wife's family and they are inextricably linked to me forever. And part of that comes with the territory when you draft a player. You end up getting all the influences that that player grew up with and you end up getting that player's family and that player's agent and that player's influence and their circle of influence, the people who influence them, their posse, their group of individuals, their squad, their whatever you want to call it, their people who influence them, whether that's family, friends, business associates, or otherwise, come with them. And that never really clicked for the Bills. No. For a fan base that is so interactive and so accepting and so... um I don't know, rabid in some ways about our players and our people. If you just, if you check the boxes that we want you to check, right? It's not like we have no requirements. We're not going to make it sound like we're just, you know, the total good guys in this scenario. But we went through the podcast several weeks ago about like taking offense to things, right? You know, the, the scores to settle and the things that we hate and all of that. If you give us, as fans, bulletin board material really of any sort, we we tend to latch on to that. And I think that in in some ways that contributed to all of the, the groundswell of un, unrest and uneasiness and dissatisfaction around Zay Jones that really took on a life of its own, you know, the past couple of weeks. The, the fact of the matter is on the field it wasn't there, right? The, the other fact of the matter is he always seemed like a good guy. He never seemed like a like a troublemaker. The the issues were more so with the people around him saying things than him. I I really thought highly of Zay Jones. Yeah, as a person, he he interviewed well. He was always well spoken. He was pro Allen. He was he was. There's no indication that he was disruptive in any sort of way to the team, and it it just didn't click for whatever reason. It just didn't click, and that's that's okay. Not every failure of any relationship that gets severed has to be somebody's fault. 
You know, some relationships just don't work, and that's okay. We can still be friends. Yeah. Zay, it's not you, it's me. Yeah. I I definitely think that both of us wish Zay Jones well, and within the last 10 days or so, we both have been to some degree vocal about Zay doesn't deserve all of the blame for this not working out by any means. There's a lot of... You know, Aaron Quinn would was been a guy who has put in a lot of a lot of time, uh, and and to, if if you just are a casual observer, some of it's humorous because of what he had to go through when he was doing it. But to provide information and uh, objective analysis that would say Zay's open in some situations. Zay's beat his man. You know, the ball's not on him, and and. He can only do so much about that. Now, the the flip side of that coin that people will say is, yeah, but you know, guys got to make catches that aren't perfect all day every day. That's that's part of the gig. You know, that's part of the reason why you got to where you are because you have the physicality and the skill set so that you can bring in passes that aren't perfect. And Zay just didn't bring in enough of them, you know, or didn't get enough opportunity, whatever the mixture was, it didn't work. So, uh. I mean, now we have a what I think is a very intriguing wide receiver room with with Duke Williams being brought up. It's more intriguing with the evidence and the data that we get of, of seeing Duke be productive. If we just had John Brown and Cole Beasley, Andre Roberts, and Isaiah McKenzie on the field on Sunday, okay, and and Isaiah McKenzie and Andre Roberts did stuff that maybe was within the realm of what we expected them to do. And it just so happened that the, the, the four catches for 29 yards that went to Duke were distributed amongst the, the other three players, right? Cole and Isaiah and Andre. And we trade Zay Jones away, and now we bring Duke Williams up. So now the wide receiver room in this alternate scenario is identical to what it really is today. It's John Brown, Cole Beasley, Andre Roberts, Isaiah McKenzie, Duke Williams, and Robert Foster when he's back and healthy. Those rooms, I think, in my alternate scenario versus reality are pretty different because we don't just have this blind practice squad training camp darling character who were all excited about what they could be you know now we 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 have some evidence to show that 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 there's something there with duke in this offense there's validation for a lot of bills mafia who was rooting for duke and was wishing myself included that he would make the 53-man roster there's a little validation there that is associated with rooting for him, and then having him come up and play well. I'm not saying he lit the world on fire. He didn't light the world on fire. But he clearly got Allen's trust. Allen threw him. I remember the two passes that stuck out to me most were, number one, the touchdown pass, which if you would like to argue that Duke is too slow to gain separation, then I would say that you weren't watching because Duke, yeah, run a 4-7-2, but the guy guarding him on that touchdown pass was a Dory Jackson, who's one of the fastest players in football. And there are other ways to get separation in short areas aside from a fast 40-yard dash time. Like, that's not a good measure of how well you separate at the next level. Route running, physicality at the catch point, things like that, length, these are all things that show separation. And Josh Allen trusted him to throw him the ball, trusted him enough to throw him the ball. In addition, there was a a slant route over the middle earlier where there wasn't a lot of separation, and Josh just pulled the trigger, and Duke came down with it. Duke grabbed it, pulled it in, 
was immediately tackled, got the first down, and I thought to myself, there wasn't a lot of room. You and I talked about Josh Allen this past offseason as a see you open and then throw it to you and how he can get away with that because of how strong his arm is. The fact that he didn't see Duke open in the traditional sense of open, but said based on his leverage, if I threw it to this spot, he could get it. And then threw it, and Duke rewarded him by catching it and going, I got you, Josh. I don't have to be wide open. If I have good leverage and I have good body position and you throw me this ball, I'll get you, man. Like, I'll, I'll take care of you. And the fact that Josh was willing to pull the trigger on those throws, I think means a little bit. I'm not saying Duke's going to be a 100-yard receiver and he's our alpha number one. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, he can clearly contribute. And Josh is clearly okay seeing him not being entirely wide open and going, you know what? I trust that Duke is going to make this happen. Yeah, it is an exciting prospect because the only guy who I would say that doesn't have a ton of chemistry already at some point in time built up with Josh Allen would be number one, Andre Roberts, and number two, Duke Williams. And for Duke Williams to not have you know, as much as... Uh, Robert Foster would from last year, as Isaiah McKenzie would from last year, and John Brown and Cole Beasley would from all of the reps that they have had so far this season and in the offseason. Duke would be kind of the guy at the bottom of that, along with Andre Roberts. So for Duke to take such a prominent role on Sunday, I think was is, is very exciting for us being able to potentially use his skill set. And I think I was impressed... Maybe it could be because the Titans didn't have a whole lot of film on him or didn't spend a lot of time talking about how they were going to prepare for him in the secondary if he was on the field. But he definitely has the ability. He he positions himself for the ball and he does not double clutch the ball, which is even when Zay made catches, there were a lot of times where there was there was double clutching and maybe passes didn't get broken up, but they were very close to that because defenders were closing on him before he really had full control of the ball when it got there. So I'm very interested to see what the offensive rep distribution looks like amongst these wide receivers when we come back in Miami, because now Zay's gone, which means that Robert Foster potentially could see more reps, but we brought Duke up. So is it a straight swap Zay for Duke as far as the, you know, the rep distribution and Cole Beasley and John Brown are going to maintain their rep distribution with Isaiah McKenzie and Isaiah McKenzie and Andre Roberts being the little sprinkle of the uh, the jet sweep shovel pass and stuff like that. I'll, I'll be interested to see, um, you know, I, I I would love to see Robert Foster contribute in the ways that he did last year. I don't know if we have seen... Would you say that we've seen anything from Robert Foster this year during games on tape that would suggest that he's less good than he was last year? Is he just not getting run? He's just not getting run. It's not like there's a lot of data to indicate that Robert Foster is clearly not the, not the same guy he was last year. He just simply hasn't had any opportunity to prove that he is or is not the guy from last year. I do think that Josh Allen's failure to connect on deep balls and Robert Foster's lack of pass catching routes run, I do think those things are correlative. 
would he, would you would you be um, are you suspecting that when we come out against Miami, it is going to be pretty much a straight swap for Zay for Duke? Yes, um, Duke actually had the second most reps of any wide receiver behind John Brown. He had more than Cole Beasley. And that makes sense because you want Cole Beasley on the field whenever you go three wide receivers. But if you're going two wides and you're running, you're not going to have Cole Beasley on the field. You're going to have Duke Williams on the field. Cole Beasley, as scrappy as he is, and as good as he is separating in short areas, I don't really want him run blocking. And there were plays when Duke Williams really assisted in pass and run blocking. There was a... There was a bootleg play where Duke Williams cut off the pass rush from getting to Josh Allen. Duke Williams will mess you up in the run game. And it's a little bit like we talked about with Zay Jones last week. I said, well, what does he do, Nick? And you said, well, he runs blocks. I said, okay, great. And we, we, can, we have somebody else who can do that. Duke Williams can block arguably better than Zay Jones did. And I think it's, I really just think it's a straight rep swap. Yeah. The only other thing I want to go on on tape about with Duke Williams is something that was briefly spoken about on a pod, but it was it was spoken about way more significantly whenever you and I were trying to predict who was going to be the the sixth wide receiver to make the roster before cutdowns on the wide receiver conversation pod that that was actually lost because of technical difficulties, and that is Bills fans I think love Duke Williams because. It's kind of this, we found a treasure and everybody else overlooked him, right? And that always feels good because you feel like they're the stories you watch sports movies about. You know, this this GM who's the likable character but is getting ridiculed or whatever goes out and finds some hidden gem uh, in, a, in a minor league somewhere and brings them on and they turn out to be a superstar, right? Like We've seen some versions of those all the time. Have you seen Draft Day? I haven't seen Draft Day, but okay. is that is that it basically? No, but you should watch Draft Day because it's an example of the kind of stories that you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. And they're all they're fun, right? They're fun for sports fans a lot of times. Well, I think Duke checks the box for that potentially, right? In in, in a in a way that people like. The other thing is too, the more you learn about Duke and what he's gone through is is pretty interesting. I mean, there, there, there was a point... So right now, the, what we see of Duke Williams is a hardworking guy who's pretty much no-nonsense and giving it his all and is everything that we could want as far as an on-the-field and off-the-field uh, player, to, to, to our knowledge now. That was not always true, A. And, you know, when you talk about a guy who came from tough circumstances uh, in his in his upbringing. There was there was a period of time where guys on the press corps for the for the Bills for the beat reporters had some discrepancies over his actual age and birthday because his upbringing was um you know so challenging in some ways that they didn't even know if the team had totally accurate records or if if they you know, we're confident in the information that they did have, you know, that that's not only that all that happened, then he went to college, he became a superstar at Auburn, then he gets kicked off of Auburn, right, and has to go to finish college another place, doesn't get drafted, 
And here's the, my favorite part of the story is he took his medicine and went to Canada. There's a lot of guys who have whatever issues Duke did, but they don't put in the work and take the punishment to work their way back in. Everybody loves a story like this. And you love it because you think that he appreciates the game the way that we appreciate the game. Oh, that's that's probably very, very accurate. Fans get sick and tired of watching people who make more money in a year than we'll make in 10 complain about their Maseratis and about $2 million in a long-term contract. And so what fans identify with is that this is a guy who appreciates the game the way we appreciate the game, and he cherishes it. We all think to ourselves, gosh, if I, if you just put me on that field for like 10 minutes, I would appreciate it the way nobody did. And we look at Duke and we go, he, he loves it the way I love it. He appreciates his gift, and he appreciates his opportunity in the way that I would. And that's what makes us connect with him. That's what makes us connect with Duke. That's why we love Duke. That's why we root for Duke. Not just because it's an underdog story, but because essentially there's a certain level of vicariousness that comes there. We get to live that way through him and go, this is a man who will never take it for granted. And we, we get really angry when we see professional athletes take it for granted. Because there are Bills fans out there who spend an inordinate portion of their salary annually to get season tickets to go in the freezing cold to watch their team lose in December. And after a certain amount of time, that makes you a little bitter. Mm -hmm. And pay for parking, and pay for tailgating, and pay for swag, and everything else that comes along with it. And we don't view ourselves as just consumers of a product at that point. And we wish someone would appreciate it the way that we do. And you know what? Duke Williams does. And that's why we root for him. Yeah. Let's shift and talk about some of the overarching storylines that are that are more team focused because we, we spent some time on the wide receiver room, which I think is which is good. One of the things I think people are kind of saying now, after the Bills have gone four and one, and we've certainly won ugly, right? As far as you would say, we haven't put anybody away early. All of these games have been interesting in the fourth quarter. Even if even the Giants game where we won by 14 was down to a one-score game that, that we then were able to finish out and put some distance between us. One of the things I'm seeing people say regularly now is that the Bills are a kind of team that doesn't beat themselves. And I, I, I'm going to say what I think that means, and I, I would agree with it when I, in the way that I'm going to define it. I think it makes sense why teams why people are saying this. And it starts really with what we've watched for two decades, which is a team that would be in position and have the opportunity to either tie a game, take a lead, close a game out, anything like that. And rather than capitalize on those opportunities, we would make silly, what I will say are silly mistakes or shoot ourselves in the foot in ways that are they're part of football and they're part of the game, but they're not just as simple as they the other team outmanned us or the other team beat us. The other you know what I mean it would it would be Leotis McKelvin 
on the the fumble, right? It would be Stevie Johnson dropping the ball against Pittsburgh in the end zone. It there there's a long list that we don't need to go through here, but it would be that feels like we beat ourselves rather than other teams beat us, right? It feels like that's what we watched happen a lot of times. Now, there's certainly been times, too, where we got our asses handed to us. I'm not going to pretend like that never happened. What seems to happen, though, with the, this team and the discipline and the attentiveness of it is that rather than us beating ourselves, we are holding fast. We aren't making those really boneheaded mistakes that just drive us crazy and make us feel like we're an amateur team. And sometimes we're allowing our opponents to do that to themselves. And then we walk out of there with a win and go, all right, I'll take it, I guess. You know what I mean? Like Now then the rest of us, all the fans are like, gosh, I wish it was cleaner. I wish it was cleaner. I wish we would just put him down early in the third quarter, finish the job, right? I think that's that's a sentiment here. But what is the optimistic perspective of that, the glass half full perspective of that same thought is we aren't beating ourselves. We are allowing our opponents to beat themselves and then we outlast them almost. I disagree with that. That narrative that we don't beat ourselves is only part of the equation. I would argue that we're attempting to beat ourselves and our defense is so good it won't let us. What did you say? Josh Allen has made some untimely mistakes and turned the ball over in untimely positions. And we've had some moments where we have shot ourselves in the foot. And there have been moments where we fumble the ball or Josh Allen's thrown a pick and the defense has bailed us out. And there have been other moments where if we can just hang on, I think Josh Allen's clutch, you know, kick in and he can get a game winning drive. I do believe that. I believe when Josh Allen comes on the field down one score that we're going to score. Because we've talked about this. I, I do think there is such a thing as a clutch gene. I believe Josh Allen's got it. And I believe more so than I have in years that when Josh Allen takes the field down one score, we're going to score. Yeah. I never believed it with Tyrod. I never believed it with Fitz. Yep. But I believe it now. I'm like, I, you know, I, I think we're going to score. And if we don't score, I'll be like, oh, that, I was surprised. I, I kind of thought we were going to score. But that doesn't also mean he doesn't also put us in the positions occasionally. Where we have to Where we do have that. to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He turned the ball over, and the Titans used that to score their touchdown to tie the game 7-7. Seven to seven. And so, I think that there are moments where our offense, who gets decent yardage, but not decent points, the reason that gap exists between the yardage and the points is because we are shooting ourselves in the foot. We're trying to beat ourselves. But the defensive coaching, the defensive scheme, the defensive talent is so good on this team that they simply won't let us shoot ourselves in the foot. It's like the defense is bulletproof shoes for this team. <laughs> yeah. And we keep trying to shoot ourselves in the foot, but the defense won't let us. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of truth to that, and I think that's actually a, a pretty succinct and articulate way to put it. Because... That's why so many fans are clamoring. That's why there is this suspicion and unrest 
around this team because yes, we're four and one, but we want it to be cleaner, right? That was the phrase that I used earlier. The reason we want it to be cleaner is because of what you just described, because we're giving our opponents the opportunity to take it away from us. And we're just, you know, they're failing to do it and or our defense is stopping them from doing it. Mixture of both. Now, the defense is terrific and we deserve credit. The team deserves to be applauded and and lauded and receive the attention that comes with having an elite defense. That's that's justified. I think it's the same thing that's keeping everyone cautiously optimistic because you think that eventually when you play Russian roulette, one of these chambers is going to have a bullet, right? Now, we've gone through five chambers and there was only one loss, right? That was the Patriots. You've got Miami coming out of the break. That, you know... Good news. Yeah, good news. <laughs> Yeah, there's only really, you know, we don't care a lot about a lot of things, but we care about something specific. Sweep the Dolphins this year. I don't know. I I think that that's, yeah, I think that's where we're at. I don't have any, I don't have any commentary on that. I totally agree with you. Do you imagine, do you have the fear that this is going to come back and there is going to be a game where our defense isn't able to bail us out and then we have to sit with the soul-searching seven days or six and a half days where we're all like, gosh, I get, I really, you know, uh, we got to stop doing that. Sure, but there's also a leading indicator to indicate that there's just as much of an opportunity for us to not shoot ourselves in the foot, all of a sudden drop 35 points a game for a couple stretch because the yards are there. Right. Brian Dable is constructing an offense the third, that can move the ball. The third down conversions are there at decent in decent increments. Yeah. Listen, we're not just talking about converting third and one, third and two, third and three. We're converting third and eight, third this, and seven. This is a top half of the league offense in yards and a bottom five in the league in points. That discrepancy means something. It's more likely that the yards are going to continue because there's ta- there's tape out there. Teams are preparing for us and attempting to stop us. Yards are a leading indicator and points are a lagging indicator. Yeah. The thing that's stopping those things from connecting right now is us shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, the likelihood is that the yards will continue, the offensive production will continue, and that the points will eventually catch up. The ship will turn. Yeah, I'm concerned that there will be a moment where our offense will absolutely tank and our defense won't be able to keep up. But there's just as high, if not a higher likelihood, that the points catch up to the yards. Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we will go continue talking about the narratives and the current storylines that surround our Buffalo Bills. We'll be right back with you. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. I'm Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. That's right. And we will jump right back in. Actually, you know what? We are not going to jump in. Stop. Stop the train. You shall not pass! We are going to 
say thank you to some of our wonderful listeners and fans who have taken the time to head over to the iTunes store and to leave us a couple of sentences and some words of encouragement, perhaps, or we've got a special one for you that is uh, not exactly words of encouragement that we are also excited to share with you. So, okay. Do you want to do yours? You have two. Do you want to do one of yours first, or do you want to do the other ones first? We'll save yours for last. You do yours first. What would you first? Okay, okay. So, number one, we've got uh, Gas Coins, C-O-Y-N-E-S, G-A-S-C-O-Y-N-E-S. Said, keep the drops, five stars. Love you, buddy. Love that perspective. Philly Science Guy. This is a guy who uh, actually reviewed us previously, gave us five stars, but he updated his review. He said he doesn't feel strongly about the drops, except for whenever we talk about the evil empire, the New England Patriots. Boo! Boo! And he wants us to make sure that we keep the drop that y'all just heard. Now, I did have a question, though. I would like people's feedback on this. I've also been thinking about another soundbite for the Patriots, and I'd like to know what y'all think. We call them the evil empire anyways, right? I mean, it kind of makes sense. Do you have an opinion about that, Bruce? The difference is that Darth Vader was a bad guy in those movies, but he was also cool. And I don't even want to give them even a shred of that. Yeah. Well, we will leave it up to you people. Let us know what you think. Okay, then we've got some... There is also some great reviews in here of our peer pod, uh, one of our peers, Mafia Mavens. So I'll I'll let them go through those on their show. Uh, Let's see, Padden. Padden, this dude is all up on us on Twitter. We appreciate you, Padden. He gave us a review. Let's see. He actually said, add more drops or I shalt spam thine Twitter with cat pictures. You wouldn't dare. (laughs) I also do love the the old uh, medieval... uh, the old medieval language. Old English? Yeah. Good morrow. Morrow, Abbott. Good morrow. Welcome, Abbott. Good morrow. Hello, Abbott. Good morrow. Hey, Abbott. I hate that guy. Good morrow, Bruce. Is that going to be a regular? You're just shaking your head no? Don't even want to go to the mic? Hello, governor. Okay, now, now, now we're done. Now okay, okay moving on, moving on. Okay, we've got... Okay, we're going to skip over one. Then we've got Gilly Lady. This dude, I love. I think this is the person who pretends to be Tormund, uh, Giant, you know, uh, Giant's Bane. The big woman's still here. So we have one from Gilly Lady, but I think you have something special that you wanted to do for this one, didn't you, Bruce? Yeah, I wish I had a backtrack right now. because I, I can try. What's that mean? Okay. Gilly decided to write his review in the form of a rap. I didn't even notice that. I think it is oh appropriate. God, for me to rap this because okay. of how much I love that guy. What's 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 the beat? Can you do the beat real quick? Hold on. So okay, so so the beat is Okay, so you loop that. Uh, okay, okay, we can we, we can work with that. Tell us when you're ready. 
There once was a podcast about my bills with knowledge, wisdom, and a few thrills. It was made by two very strange Ohio men, one named Nick and another named Nolan. The pod itself was quite a tizzy. Stats and numbers that could make one dizzy, but lots of breakdowns with actual thought, not your typical blabby blabby buffalo draw. I recommend this pod to everyone I see. Bills fans, non-fans, even when I pee. I hope they keep making this buffalo crap because Nick and Nolan have our back. Oh, that was awesome. Well done. You like that flow? I like that flow. I like that flow. You did you killed it, man. You killed it. You uh very Sugar Hill gang. Yeah, I would agree with that. That, 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 was, that was my inspiration. You know, yeah. those are the, the people who really inspired me when I was young. Oh, Sugar yeah. Hill Gang. Yeah, it's definitely like yeah. it's definitely like early rap. Oh early, yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, like yeah. schoolyard rap. Well, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I'm not young, so I wasn't influenced by sure. the rappers today. Sure, sure. So then we had another actual review from a reviewer whose name they they said their name was Nick and Nolan, which isn't true. Because that must mean they created it just to do that. For yeah. You. Well, they which also is awesome. That's it is terrific, but they didn't say anything about the drops, so you know for sure that it wasn't us because I would have been talking up the drops pretty hard in my own review. And then we got Rich in Churchville, uh, who said that. Uh, us and Locked On Bills with our buddy Joe Marino are his, his his favorite pods. So we we appreciate that very much, Rich. It's high praise. I've got JD Swift ten who said Nick and Nolan best Bills podcast I found. I really appreciate that, JD. And then we've got a gentleman named EC Dips and Dips. N- not to be confused with MC Bruce, which is what you just heard. <laughs> but EC Dips and MC Bruce, what a tandem. The title is way too corny and campy, and I'll read you the review. It's one guy thinks he's a psychologist, and the other just sets up corny, quote, audio gifts or drops to accentuate their points. When it's not the insufferable Nick and Nolan, it's an amateur-level bar discussion with monotone hosts and middle school-level production. Oh, so that's against our that's against our peers. Yeah, that's the entire Buffalo Rumbling. So here's what I'll say to EC Dips. I'm sorry that we did not meet your expectation. I greatly hope that your fandom of the Bills is enhanced through a different medium. And I hope you find the medium out there that will accentuate and enhance your fandom. I'm sorry that we weren't that pod for you. And I hope that you really find that. But we appreciate you giving us a try. Absolutely. I do. Yeah. So I just want to tell you that I appreciate you, man. And I love you. And I hope your Bills fandom is enhanced through some other medium. Now, you, you got to talk about the other guy. There's another guy here. Both realities can be true. Remember him? Well, yeah, I posted about that on Twitter. Pat Berg. You're, yeah. <laughs> you got his name memorized. Oh, you yeah. Got, you don't even have it in front of you. So, essentially, what Pat Berg said in his review was he gave us five stars. He said, you know, when I first started listening, I thought that Bruce was a blowhard because I was looking for insightful Bill's conversation. But after giving them a try and allowing them to win me over, I discovered that both realities can be true. They can be insightful, and Bruce can also be a blowhard. And my response to that is, I, I'm good with that. MC blowhard. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's MC, MC blowhard, blowhard to you. <laughs> yeah, right. And so MC blowhard is my rapper name from here on in, just so you know. It's been established right here on this pod. It, it's going to be an inside joke like moving forward. So if you don't listen to this pod, you're going to be missing out. All right. All right. Well, everybody, as always, if you want to write a rap for Bruce to do, head over to the iTunes store and leave us a review and Bruce will rap it as long as uh, you have a preference. You have a preference. Right. It's like uh, you got to have the rhymes at the end. Right. Well, yeah, it's got to be something that that was it was a really, really well written. If you need if you need a sample to know what we need, you can go read Gilly Locks review. Yeah, that'll that'll give you the template. Gilly Lady. Gilly Lady. Yeah. 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 
Tormund Giants man, I think is who that is. One of my favorite Twitters. Okay. Back to the Bills. <laughs> now that we've gotten that out of the way. Okay, so we had the last thing that I wanted to talk about that was that was not specific player oriented, but was about the team. Because we just talked about how the team doesn't beat themselves or the narrative around that. And and you gave us some some thoughts on that. I think you actually summarized um, and articulated something I wouldn't have even been able to, but I, I completely agree with you. The other thing is that this team is special. Okay. And what I'm what I'm seeing people talk about is like the Lee Smith comments after the game where he talked about how awesome it was that Duke got that had the game that he had. It was it's the celebration that the sideline had after Christian Wade's touchdown. It's you talked about it previously on our McDermott Masterclass podcast, which is maybe our magnum opus. Uh, it's a, it's in the running. You know, if you haven't heard that, if you're a person who's just come to our podcast recently, that's from uh, I don't know two months ago. That might be worth going for a listen. I really enjoyed that pod. Yeah, one of the things that you said was that McDermott specifically uses the word love more frequently and unabashedly than most others who are in the pro football community. And, you know, after you said that, Embedded came out. And Trey White talked about how all the time Sean McDermott says, I love all of you guys, talking to his players in meeting rooms, I love all of you guys so much that I'm going to do everything I can to not let your families down. And as I said that right now, like I get goosebumps about that. You know what I'm saying? And people I think are starting to believe because the record is following, like the record is good. And people have been talking about culture, 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 and it's the buzzword with McBean and all that. And and Sean McDermott specifically that this team is different because of the culture. And one of the things people are hearing and they're seeing is the genuine affection and appreciation these men and these players have for one another and everybody else in that building. You're the person who kind of spoke about that ad nauseum during that previous podcast. I'd be interested to see what your thoughts are around that whole topic at this point. Well, I mean, obviously I believe it because I did an, we did an entire pod on McDermott and what makes him tick and how that stuff plays into his day-to-day life. But now what I want to draw your attention to is it starts to bleed into other leadership roles. I'll give you a great example. Josh Allen says it all the time too. When Josh Allen was running up the tunnel after Duke Williams said, Duke, 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 I love you, man. It wasn't like that. It and was then like this. There it, was was like, a- it was like this. Duke! <laughs> As he just like screams it in the tunnel. Right. He said, I love you, man. As soon as the final snap, he gives Duke the game ball. That stuff matters. And I'm not saying it matters because you can quantify it. Not everything can be quantified. But what I'm talking about is I'm talking about opportunity cost. If this exact same team on paper rolls out there without that culture, they don't play as well. And that's something you can't write down. You cannot write down 
the fact that the team would look different with the same roster on paper with a different culture. And because you can't evaluate opportunity cost and an alternate reality, therefore people think it doesn't matter. But I'm here to tell you that this same roster on paper without that culture does not play as well. Because you will get every split second of focus when you don't want to let the man next to you down. And that's what Lee Smith talked about. You don't take plays off because your coach isn't taking a second off because he loves you and doesn't want to let your family down. And you go, I don't want to let coach down either because he's here late and he's working hard and he's doing everything he has to do to see to it that my family doesn't get let down. I'm not going to let his family down. And if you are the kind of person who doesn't care that you let his family down, then you're going to get shipped out. At this point, you're not going to be brought in, probably. I would agree with that. They, they've they've shipped. I mean, they've shipped him out at this point. You either got on board or you're gone, and most people are gone. And he's not asking you to sacrifice all of your personal autonomy. Autonomy, and yeah. he's not asking you to be a robot, and he's not asking you to sacrifice your personal goals. He, what he's saying is, everything you do is going to be in service of the man next to you and each other and your brothers and sisters because we have an extremely valuable female group not just in the Buffalo Rumblings podcast community but also on the team we have the men and women in this room is what Sean McDermott says all the time we're not going to let him down and I'm not going to let you down and in exchange for that you're not going to let me down and having a person in leadership say that to you and demonstrate it. And then turn around and demonstrate it? And then that yield results. This is the caveat that I poked holes in this earlier, which is that we better hope we might love the culture on paper and everything that we see and we hear about it. We might love it. And we, I do. I do. Admittedly. Okay? That might all be true. If it doesn't lead to winning... The men who do sacrifice, whatever it is, it's not everything, like you said, but whatever it is that they are asked to sacrifice by being a part of this organization and this team, the reason they're being asked to do it and the reason they're willing to do it is because it's supposed to lead to winning, which leads to contracts, which leads to money, which leads to livelihood livelihood for their families. It leads to, it leads to everything that they're all pursuing. The record is there right now. So that's... That's a big part of this. I really think that breaking the playoff drought in year one was one of the best things that possibly could have happened long term. Oh my gosh. Because it can make an argument. You can make an argument about tanking all you want and acquiring assets and all that stuff. And that stuff's great. But having credibility as a coaching staff is something you cannot put money on. Yeah. And McDermott's got it. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, Gosh, it's really uh, makes me feel good. It's one of those things where I'm almost like, I, what did we do to deserve? We we suffered a long time, and everybody's gonna you know answer this question differently. But I'm I'm just the personality type that you know you, you get something good, and you're kind of like afraid it's gonna be taken from you, right? This is one of those things where we broke the drought when we broke it, which gave the coaching staff of the front office time to get some things right, to do some of the hard stuff, so we didn't have to tank out completely to rebuild the cabinet, right, or rebuild restock the pantry, I should say. And 
it it's I mean on this side of it, holy holy hell did we finesse that. I mean I mean awesome. So let's one other thing I want to talk about specific person and conversation before we go into Josh Allen because I think we have some you have some interesting things to share about that. Ryan Bates and Cody Ford, in general, the tackle position, right? Inseki got hurt. He was down. So Ford starts. Ford goes out. Ryan Bates comes in. Bates isn't a turnstile, but he definitely got whooped on a couple yeah, plays. The second watch through was not as encouraging as the anecdotal first watch for me, for Ryan Bates. However, I do have more optimism about Ryan Bates at right tackle than I do Cody Ford. And the reason that is is because Ryan Bates is a lot more mobile. Yeah, it's got the feet. He's got the feet. Yeah, he's got the feet. He doesn't have the length, but the length isn't assisting Cody Ford right now. We mentioned when Cody Ford got drafted that if you don't have good feet, you better have good length and you better be able to utilize it. And Cody Ford's length has not saved him from getting whooped by speed rushers. But it's a lot easier to have good mobility, and that's what Ryan Bates has. I actually think that if Cody Ford can't go at right tackle – because of the concussion protocol, I actually think Ryan Bates, I'm fairly optimistic he can hold it down with some assistance because he has the mobility to work there on the right side. I mean, it's not like Cody Ford is great when we're running him there. So putting Ryan Bates in potentially has more upside and more development opportunity to to pick up whatever technique he needs to not expose himself because what I see from some of these guys and this is a total novice perspective, so you can take a moment and correct me as far as like an actual film watcher if you want. But it seems like these big guys who have who have good feet, who play tackle, they almost um, they they move so quickly that they almost try to anticipate where the rusher's going, and they put themselves out of position. Then the rusher's like, "Oh, you're going to give me your inside shoulder? I'll take it. Okay, you know." And so he, he almost like he puts himself too far to one side or the other with his own speed, and then the the rusher just counters him and gets and gets by. I think it's fair. The last thing I think that people are talking about, and there's not a whole lot to, I don't feel like there's a whole lot to say about this because we saw Josh Allen be reckless for several games. And now for one game, we saw him be particularly conservative, live to fight another day, right? I did a tweet that got just like dozens of, I can't even imagine, I don't even know, it was not a tweet I expected to get a whole lot of attention, but I put out a tweet during the game that said, I've never seen Bill's Mafia so happy for an unconverted third down as when Josh Allen threw the ball away when he was rolling out to the right on one play and didn't try to make something happen. And that's progress. That's one thing that he needs to get better at. Now, I would have liked to have that and some big stuff, right? Now, we didn't get it all, but that's, I think, how how it all goes. You have uh, a cohesive thought about how we should be thinking about Josh Allen right now that you want to share. I do. I was talking about this. It occurred to me after the game when we were talking about Josh Allen's development, and I specifically tweeted out the fact that I don't understand why improvement isn't good enough for a lot of Bill's Mafia, and I don't understand why on earth you would expect reasonably for Josh Allen to have been elite coming out of college, given everything else that we have going on. I don't quite understand why a Juco transfer who came out early from a lower level of competition, who was, you know, big arm, athletic, raw, everyone agreed on this when he was coming out. And then the second he actually suits up, 
then all of a sudden we don't hold him to any of the standards we said we were going to hold him to when we were evaluating him unbiased. That I don't understand. I can I can can I can I poke at that a little bit? Sure. Which is the patience was there last season. And everybody might say, yeah, he needs a couple of years of seasoning. Well, now we get 16 games in and people are like, it's been three years, hasn't it? Right? I think that's, <laughs> I, th- I really do. I think that's kind of what it is. Like people don't have a great ability to to categorize or, or catalog what, how long has it really been? It feels like it's been forever, right? Well, I'm here to help you with that. <laughs> okay, good. I'm good. here to assist you. And there's something, so one of the things that I enjoy doing is I enjoy creating mathematical formulas for non-math things. You may have heard me say that expectations minus reality equals disappointment. That's something you may have heard me say. I have another one for you, and that is this. The amount of reps that a quarterback took before arriving in the NFL is indirectly correlative to the standard deviation of their evaluation. Allow me to break that down. Yeah, tell us what the standard deviation of evaluation means. So, the in a mathematical concept, the larger a standard deviation or sigma is, the more variance it is. So you're plotting data points. If you're putting data points on a graph, the larger the gap between them, that is your standard deviation. Kind of like a margin of error. Sure, like a margin of error. If you have someone who has taken a lot of reps, then your standard deviation gets smaller because you have seen a larger amount of whatever tools and traits that you think that quarterback has. If you have a quarterback come out and he's a four-year starter in college at a Division I program and he was a multiple-year starter in high school, you can feel pretty confident about your evaluation of that quarterback. Isn't the that- standard deviation is smaller. And so that standard deviation is smaller. But we've talked about Baker Mayfield's amount of reps. Uh, Joe Marino mentioned on his pod that there was a discussion amongst teams that Baker Mayfield was 10,000 reps ahead of Josh Allen coming out. That matters. And as such, the standard deviation of the evaluation of Baker Mayfield is much smaller. You can feel much more secure in your evaluation, whatever that is. If someone is really, really bad for four years, you can feel very confident in your evaluation of that quarterback coming out. If someone is really good for four years, you can still feel really good about your confidence level. If you have someone who is a Jugo transfer who didn't throw a lot of passes and he comes out early, there is a significant standard deviation on Allen's evaluation. And we need to understand this because with the standard deviation comes the development curve. If you come out a finished product, which is what Baker Mayfield came out, Baker Mayfield came out very close to a finished product. If you come out that way, he's going to reach his ceiling faster. Josh Allen still isn't close. He had to relearn how to play quarterback. We brought him in as a lump of clay and said, okay, the only thing he was missing was if he came from a really gimmicky offense. 
If he would have come in, if he would have come in from a really gimmicky offense, that would have been like Yahtzee. Like <laughs> try, we hit the trifecta. This guy is literally as raw as human beings can be. His footwork was a mess. His throwing motion was weird sometimes. He played hero ball all the time. He didn't get a chance to really get set up with NFL level talent around him or against him. 80% of the time he hit his back foot, he was running for his life. There, you had to teach him. And there's going to be a development curve associated with this. But I go back to the original formula, which is the amount of reps that a quarterback takes is indirectly correlative to the standard deviation of their evaluation. Higher reps, lower margin of error, lower reps, higher margin of error. Yes. And we need to understand this coming out. If Josh Allen would have stayed for his senior season, his standard deviation, his margin for error, would have been smaller. Now, it may have settled in at a lower grade. He may have shown bad tape during that time. But the more data is always better than less data. You and I have talked about this before. It's the same way in evaluating quarterbacks, and I don't understand why we forget it when it comes to Josh Allen the second he gets in the NFL. Yep. And we yep. need to not. Yep. It's This is why I think it's dangerous to be talking about Josh Allen being the best quarterback in his class. Mm-hmm. Because we are not far enough in for that margin of error, that standard deviation to 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 shrink to a range where we have a pretty good approximation of who he is. Now, the trend is good. The trend is good. He's coachable. That's a big part of this, mm-hmm. is that he's, he's taking the things that he needs to improve upon, and he is improving upon them in, in many ways, in multiple ways. When we ranked the quarterbacks, you asked me, why is Baker Mayfield not in the undecided tier? And I said, I think we've seen enough from him to put him in a spot. That wasn't just about what we've seen from him in the NFL. This is about the fact that I thought coming out, Baker Mayfield had the smallest standard deviation of all the quarterbacks. I knew what I was going to get from Baker Mayfield. I didn't think there was a crazy variance in Baker Mayfield. But there was in other of the quarterbacks in the class. Lamar Jackson had a big variance. Josh Allen had a big variance. Sam Darnold had a big variance because of all the turnover throws. And you could make an argument that Mayfield, Mason Rudolph, and Josh Rosen had the least variance of all the quarterbacks in that class. But Mayfield threw a ton of passes in college and was a senior and played in big moments and had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of reps. So the standard deviation was smaller, and it's it's going to be way bigger for Allen, and it's going to take more reps before that deviation shrinks. So take your chill pill. If you are right now hopped up on Allen catnip, go to the medicine cabinet and find those bottles of chill pills and take a couple and relax. And inversely, if you're throwing a hissy fit about... We don't know anybody like this. I don't know anyone who's doing that. But if you're throwing a hissy fit about how Allen is garbage, yeah. then also take your chill pill. <laughs> That's fine. He can take it. We love you, Drew. You can take it. Okay. I think it's been a good convo. It's pretty good. Good morrow. Good morrow. Good morrow. No, no old English. We're not, we're no. not doing this. No. Tr- stop trying to make old English a thing. You it's write, not a thing. Oh, my God. If you write a review... 
of this podcast in Old English, you will be my favorite listener of all time. That would be awesome. What have you done? Yeah, it would be so awesome. Please do. Please do. Five stars, please. All right. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm Nick Bat. I'm Bruce Nolan. And we will not give you any well wishes into we going into battle this weekend because we have our bye week. Next week, we will come back and we will preview the Miami Dolphins game as well as get into a, conver- a conversation that I, I, I think is going to be mighty uh, mighty controversial, to say the least. Not, not entirely, but, you know, I, I think we have reasonable takes. But there are definitely going to be people who are on one side of this fence or another. So uh, give you a little teaser on that. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the pod. Leave us a review. And as always, I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. <laughs>